Thank you all for coming out on such an inclement evening. Hopefully we don't get blown away on our way home. And I hope we all get home safely. And bearing that in mind, I'm sure you won't complain if we finish a couple of minutes early tonight to let you all get home. As Alex said, we're continuing with our series on the Psalms, and in particular, the Psalms of Ascent. And I would like to, this evening, focus on Psalm 127, but also taking into consideration Psalms 126 and 128. And the reason is quite simple. If you look at the Psalms, and I'd encourage you to keep your Bible open tonight because we will be returning to the text quite frequently. If you look at Psalm 126, it starts with, when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion. And if you look at verse, uh, Psalm 128, and uh, the last verse, or the verse before the last verse 5, it says, the Lord will bless you in Zion. And so there's a link between brought from Zion and bless you in Zion. As we have mentioned over the last couple of weeks, these are Psalms of Ascent, and there's 15 of them. The number 15 is quite significant. It shouldn't be overlooked. Whenever you take the Hebrew alphabet and you attach numerical values to each letter in the alphabet, as the ancients did, and you take the word Yahweh, Jehovah, and the shortened version of it, which is Yah, it has a numerical value of 15. And also, whenever you move in through the Psalms, and as you would approach the place of worship, you would be coming on one of the days of celebration. And each of those days of celebration, three of them, was held on the 15th day of every month. As you would come to the Jerusalem, and as you would be approaching Jerusalem, you'd be singing the songs of ascent. As a pilgrim, you would enter through the south gate. And the south gate has a series of steps, broad steps, nearly 60 meters wide. And they're interspersed with a broad step, and a narrow step, and then a broad step. And as you leave the ground level to rise up to Jerusalem, there are 15 broad steps. And when you reach the last broad step, you would be reciting or singing Psalm 134, and you'd literally be able to touch the walls of the sitting. But if you went into the temple, and you went in there during one of the celebrations, you would come across the Levites, who would be the choir, if you like. And they would, in part of the ceremony, be in the court of the women. And as they left the court of the women, they would move up into the court of the men towards the center of the temple. They would climb 15 steps. And on each of those steps, they would stop and they would sing one of these psalms. And so the whole number of 15 is so significant. And that's why we have 15 Psalms of Ascent. 
Today, if you go as a pilgrim to Jerusalem, they replicate this on many of the tours. As you come in through the southern gate, many tours will sing one of the psalms on each of the broad steps. So we've got 15 psalms. The middle psalm is Psalm 127. So we've got the center is 127. And when you look at the, the middle psalm, obviously there's seven psalms on each side. It's interesting, and if you look at your text, you'll see that it's a song of Solomon. There's only one psalm of ascent, which is attributed to Solomon. And as a matter of fact, Solomon's name appears in the psalm because his original Greek name means beloved. And in verse 2, God's beloved is mentioned and actually reflects Solomon's own name. But whenever you look at that, and you've got, if you like, the center, Solomon, on two sides of the central psalm, you've got two psalms each of David. And some have even gone as far as to count the very number of letters, Hebrew letters, which are in all of the Psalms. And whenever you take out the number of letters which are in Psalm 100, which one am I on? In the central Psalm, then you find that on each side there's equal number of letters. So therefore, this all comes towards a pyramid. And Psalm 127 is a focal pyramid from which a lot of information flows out. If you look again at the 15 Psalms, they're divided up into groups of three. 120, 21, 22, 23. And three Psalms each time. And each of the Psalms follow exactly the same pattern. The first one is testing. The second Psalm, and I'm just using these in an abbreviation to help you remember. First one is testing. The second one is truth. And the third one is triumph. And this pattern is repeated time and time and time again between Psalm 120 and Psalm 124. And so therefore, whenever we take that into consideration, you'll find that this pattern of 127, 126, 127, 128 cannot be separated. And so with your permission, I'd like to add 128 into the mix for the purpose of our time tonight. I love gardening. Those of you who know me know how much I love gardening. My wife also loves the fact that I love gardening because it means I disappear for hours on an end and work in the garden and she doesn't have to do it. Well, that's not true. She's watching at the moment in Zoom. I apologize, Audrey. You're allowed to do a little bit. But one of the things about gardening is designing your garden. Getting it all ready. And I actually enjoy watching the various gardening programs. But there's one gardening program which stands out for me above all of the others. And it's not one that you'd see in the normal BBC and so on, but it actually is an RTE program. You may have seen it. You'll see these individuals approach these professional gardeners, 
And they've got a, a, a garden, in inverted commas. Sometimes it's full of rubble. Sometimes it's absolutely falling apart. Sometimes it's disjointed. It's not looking good. And they come along to them and they say, here's our garden. What can you do with it? And so these professionals go away and they take all the measurements and they put it into a computerized system and they actually reconstruct the finished garden in all its beauty. And the two people who have asked for the garden to be designed can actually stand there in the midst of this computerization and see the reconstructed garden that they are going to get. They can walk in it. They can go across the patio. They can look across. It's all done in 3D imagery. And then they will agree to which one of the reconstructed gardens they want. And then they will commence building the garden. I want you to just think of those three as we look at these three Psalms. Because the first part is rubble. The second part is building. And the third part is the finished product. And Psalm 126 talks about rubble. Psalm 127 talks about building. And Psalm 128 talks about the future finished product. You all know what it's like if you've ever done any renovations to your house and the architect comes with the plans and you, and you try to imagine what this beautiful building is going to look like. And even when the walls go up, you think, my goodness, that's a wee bit small and all the rest. But you, you watch it. And eventually you get the finished product which you can enjoy. But there's a lot of work goes in before that. And so tonight what I want to do is I want to take each of the sounds, but I want to focus on one, two, seven. Because one starts with rubble and then finishes with rebuilding. And in the process is how should we build? One, two, six, one, two, seven, one, two, eight. So let's look at one, two, six. Psalm one, two, six. As we read this psalm, I want you to imagine for one moment what music you would attach to this psalm. Because as Gareth mentioned to us a number of weeks ago, these, these were sung. They were like the Christmas carols of the day. The people would sing them as they walked along, as they ascended towards Jerusalem. And as I mentioned, the Levites would sing them. So what kind of music would you put to 126? When the Lord brought back the captivity, we were like those who dream. Then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Bring back our captivity or restore us, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. What kind of music would you put to that? Joyous? Happy? Lament? This is a lament. 
This is a song of sadness. This is a song of disappointment. Whenever you look at it, you see that it starts with coming back from captivity. And the captivity that's been referred to there is the Babylonian captivity. We haven't got time to go into all of the history, but I'm sure you know what we're talking about. In, that, in the days of the, the days of the Jewish people, they were taken into captivity for a period of 70 years. Some of them were allowed to return home. Could you imagine the reaction when they were told they were allowed to return to Jerusalem? Oh, they were so pleased. They were delighted. They were singing. We're going home to our homeland. We're going home to Jerusalem. Now, they've been there 70 years. So Haggai, in the book of Haggai, tells us that there were very, very few who actually remembered what Jerusalem was like, but they'd heard the stories. And some of the old men who were children and young people, whenever they were taken into captivity, struggled to make the journey back from Babylon, which took weeks, if not months. And they were so pleased, so pleased. They were anticipating, they were looking forward. They couldn't believe that they were actually returning to their city. And then they get there. Do you know what it's like? It's like a holiday that goes wrong. Whenever we were younger and I grew up in Japan, I vividly remember one of those such holidays. My parents rented a cabin up in the mountains in Nagano Prefecture in Japan. We were promised what seemed to be luxury. We were going there for two weeks. Oh, we were so excited. We were buzzing in the car on the way up as children, anticipating what it would be like. And when we got there, the place was terrible. I'll tell you how bad it was. When we lay in bed at night, the termites fell out of the ceiling onto your head. That's how bad it was. We went with joy. We were all, oh, we were bursting. Oh, no. That is exactly what is happening here in this psalm. The people left from Babylon, and they went bursting with joy. In the book of Haggai, and the book of Ezra tells us that there was this mixture of sounds came out. The book of Haggai tells us the young were joyous and raised a loud voice, but the old were weeping when they saw the rubble of Jerusalem. The beauty of the temple, gone. That grandeur of Solomon's temple destroyed in pieces. And when they came back from captivity in Ezra, they, they saw the foundations of the temple and the old man wept in a loud voice when they saw what it had become. And so we have here destitute, despair, mixed emotion, 
let down. And so they say, we sow in tears, and we reap with joy, and we will go forth weeping, and doubtless we will come back again rejoicing. A lament, a letdown. And then whenever you move into Psalm 128, the whole tone changes. As we read Psalm 128, I want you to look for the word blessed or be happy. 126 is despair. 128 is blessed. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants and all around your table. And behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion. And may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This psalm, if you don't mind me being personal for a moment, is very, very personal to me. Because it was my parents would have called our family psalm. You see, whenever my mother and father were very young and they were about to get married, my mother was diagnosed with tuberculosis and for two years she was very ill. But my father and mother were determined to go through with the wedding. And whenever my mother recovered from tuberculosis after extensive surgery, she was told that she should never have children that her health couldn't withstand it. But my father, reading this psalm, took this psalm personally and took it as a promise from the Lord. And you can see there the blessings of children being brought into a household. And he talked and frequently reminded us that we were a blessing as children. But I will never forget the night that my firstborn my daughter was born. And after we went to her home, I went home and I went, called into my parents. In those days, you didn't have digital cameras, you had Polaroid photographs. And I took the Polaroid photograph and showed it to my mom and dad. My father paused and he said, now, let's read the psalm. And with tears running down his eyes, he read, you may see your grandchildren your children's children. You see, this is a, a hope. This is a fulfillment of something. This is something in the future that is going to happen. This is blessed. This is happiness. This is good. In direct contrast with the dismay of 126. This is good. 
And in many ways, this is also a, a futuristic prophetic psalm, looking well into the future, and you will see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life and prophetically. And so between those two psalms, one to six, despair, one to eight, hope, an eternal hope, we have one to seven. And while I'm going to focus on it, I won't take long, ten minutes or so. And we will look at 127 because it is the pinnacle psalm. It is the center of the 15. And if you read it, it says, A Song of Ascents of Solomon. And there is that, ver that reference to Solomon hidden in the psalm in verse 2, for he gives his beloved sleep. And so let's read 127. Unless the Lord builds the house. They labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stares awake in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrow, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of, one man, of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed and shall speak with their enemies in the gate. It's a strange one. Yeah, we all know the, the first verse, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Yes, we even have that text sometimes on our wall. Well, we know that. But what is being talked about here? Is it really being talked about families and the value of a family and the beauty of a family? Yes, you could draw that from it and you could speak about it. But I think you missed the point. Because to understand 127, we have got to go back. And we've got to go back into 2 Samuel. And can I take you to 2 Samuel chapter 7, please? 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now, what is happening here? In chapter 7, King David, who is now at rest in his house, decides that it is time that God should no longer live in a tent, that is a tabernacle, that it is appropriate that a house or a place be built for the Lord. And so therefore, King David makes these plans in his mind, and I will build a, a house for the Lord. And Nathan the prophet approaches King David and says to King David, it's not appropriate for you to build a house. And tells him, you can't build a house. And so we break into the context in verse 11, halfway through chapter 7 and verse 11. Bear in mind the words of 127, a song of Solomon, and Solomon is David's son. One, verse 11, 
also the Lord, Nathan speaking, tells you that he will make you a house. And since, and when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And David's response in verse 27, for you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant found in his heart to pray this prayer, and now, O Lord God, you are God. Your words are true, and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. And take that into the context of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house. We're not talking solely about a physical building. We're not talking about a temple. Just like as we would say in our own studies of history, the House of Windsor, the Tudor household, there's a dynasty. A house can be more than a building. It can be a dynastic. And God spoke to David through the prophet. And he said to David through the prophet, he said, David, you will not build a physical house, but I will build a house. And that house which I build for you will stretch for generation after generation and be eternal. And so when you read that, unless the Lord builds the house. And David or Solomon is here reflecting on that very incident that occurred in the life of his father, David. Unless the Lord builds it. But when you read Psalm 127, there is one word repeated time and time again. Verse 1, in vain. And then we have again in verse one at the end, the watchman stays awake in vain. And then at the start of verse two, it is vain for you to rise up early. So if chapter 128 is by blessing, 127 is doing things in vain. So how does that apply to us? ever felt totally exhausted. I'm not talking about after running a couple of miles or playing a game of football or hiking up a mountain or whatever you have done, exhaustion. I'm talking about the absolutely drained exhaustion. 
that you just can't cope with work anymore. You can't cope with the pressure of family anymore. You can't cope with looking after your grandchildren over half term anymore. You can't cope with leading and working in the church anymore. You're done. You can't sleep. You toss and you turn. And you think, has everything that I have done, is it wasted? Billy Green talks about visiting an elderly man of 75, a multimillionaire who invited Billy Green to his home. And the multimillionaires brought Dave, Billy Graham out onto the veranda, looking out over a beautiful bay, and he says, that's my yacht down there, and this is my property, and I can have anything I want. But my life has been totally in vain. I've got nothing to show. Maybe you feel like that as an individual tonight. Maybe you think that you've done your best. Maybe you haven't even got a Christian faith, and, and you think, what's it all about? That's exactly what Solomon's talking about here. That's a picture of pushing yourself to the point. And unless, unless the Lord builds the house, Unless the Lord guards the city. Unless God is in the center of what you do and why you do it and the motivation for why you do it. Unless God is there, it's in vain. For me, one of the most terrifying passages of Scripture is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And it's talking about us Christians facing the judgment seat of Christ. And those things which were done for the Lord remain. And those things which were not done for the Lord are like hay and stubble and are blown away and are burnt up and are destroyed. And the gold nuggets of what you have done for God where he is in the center, remain. All too often it's far too easy for us to lose sight of the fact that unless God is in the center and the motivation is to serve him, whether in our job, in our family, in our church, unless God is there, it's hand stubble. Sometimes as a church, we need to sit back. And we need to say, is what we're doing in vain? Have we lost God in the center of it? Are we doing it because we enjoy it? And we get satisfaction out of it? Are we doing it because God wants us to do it. And so therefore the first half talks about that, that it's in vain. 
And he says, you know, if you do things in vain, you can't sleep. You can't eat. You just get to that point where you just can't go on. Verse 2. But then he comes to a positive side. And he says, children are a heritage from the Lord. Take you right back to 2 Samuel 7. Remember? David, you're not going to build a house, but I will build a house. And it's not a physical house. It's a house. It's a family. It's going to be eternal. And so he says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Solomon, not the best example for us, but Solomon had children. And not only did Solomon have children, Solomon had children's children. And if you take that line and you follow it right down through history until you get to Matthew chapter 1, Jesus, the son of David, the eternal line, the promise fulfilled, the absolute objective of God's purpose finished. And therefore you move into Psalm 128 and you rejoice and you bless and you're happy. The Lord Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. I will build my church. His house, his family, his bride. And it's never going to end. It's eternal. It will last into all eternity. And you know where we will see him? Guess where? In the new Jerusalem, the prophecy fulfilled. One, two, six, dismay, trouble. One, two, seven, the way, the God at the center. One, two, eight, triumph. I have a neighbor who recently moved to Northern Ireland, and he looks over the fence every so often, and he says to me, David, will you help me with my garden? And I say to him, that's fine, yes, I'll, I'll come and help you. And one day we were talking, and he said to me, David, I want a garden like yours. I said, okay. He is from the Orient. My, my gar garden Japanese style. He says, I want a garden like yours. I said, okay. He says, I want it soon. I said, no, it doesn't happen like that. How long has it taken you to get your garden, he asked me. 30 years of hard work. Oh. 30 years of fulfillment. God has a plan. God has an objective and a purpose. 
And God expects us to work. Unless a man builds, doesn't say stop building, he says continue building. Unless God builds the house, unless God guards the city, it is in vain. May I encourage each of us to just sometimes stop and take time to consider where we are and what we're doing and why we're doing it. And what is it all about? Where is God in my life? Where is the Lord? What is his purpose? Or will I stand on a veranda looking out over the coastline of my life and say, what a waste. What a waste. It's up to us. The choice is ours. God or vanity? Let's pray. Father, we come into your presence and we thank you for the encouragement through these psalms. We thank you, our Father, for speaking to us through documents and writings of hundreds and even thousands of years of age. And our Father, we thank you for the challenge that is still there. Help us, our Father, to keep you, the Lord, at the center of our life. We thank you for the ultimate fulfillment, the Son of David, the King of kings, the one who rules in the new Jerusalem. Father, help us to work according to your plan, according to your way, according to your purpose, so that our Father, we may benefit from the rest and the sleep that comes from being in harmony with you. And so, our Father, we'd ask for your blessing upon us, in particular, as we travel home tonight. We just pray for safety for each member here traveling. In the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus, amen. Alex, I'll just hand over to you for the closing hymn.